everyone, and welcome to Classic Gaming Today, where we take a look at the gaming experiences of the past through the eyes of the present. I'm your host, Tony, and today we're going to look at something a little bit different. This is our first sound-based episode. We are going to look at the sounds of the classics NES Volume 1. So a little bit of explanation might be warranted here. For anybody who has been a long-time listener, you know that for the most part, all of our episodes focus on a single game, maybe occasionally a few different games, and then we go through and we rank them as far as, well, not really rank, but we look through them, we look at the graphics, the sound and music, the narrative and or story, if the game has one, playability and controls and overall feel, and we determine whether the game is worth your time today. We rank them or rate them into several different categories with the top of the top being part of the Pantheon. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We are not going to be looking at a single game or a couple of games. We're not even going to be talking about anything that is necessarily Pantheon worthy. Today, we are going to explore video game music. And I have to tell you all, I love video game music. I have always been enthralled by video game soundtracks, video and computer game soundtracks. I just love them. I love the old school synthesis that oftentimes accompanied a lot of these soundtracks. I love even when you started getting into more of the sample based kind of music as a lot of the computer games did in the 90s, as well as the 16 bit and later systems. I just love video game music in general. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if occasionally, and I'm thinking maybe every 10-ish episodes, but occasionally, what if we took a step back and rather than talked about a single game, we actually talked about several different games within the context or from the context of their music. So that's what we're going to do. This is our very first episode of this format. So if anybody is new, first of all, welcome. But second of all, this is not our traditional format for an episode. This is actually something entirely unique, entirely different. Hopefully we'll be the start of something that we can do on an occasional basis just to mix things up a little bit. But before we get into those soundtracks, I do have a little bit of housekeeping up front. This is episode number 60. I'm excited to be here. I hope all of you are as well. If you'd like to reach out, let me know how I'm doing, provide feedback, comments, suggestions, or just talk about classic games and technology in general. I would love to hear from you, and there are a few ways you can reach out. I have an email address, which is classicgamingtoday at gmail.com. I have a Twitter account with the handle at classicgamingt, and I have a Discord server. The link is in the show notes. Discord is the best way to get in touch with me and the rest of the community around this podcast. We have a ton of fun out on Discord, including the Weekend Gaming Challenge. This past weekend was all about LucasArts Legends. There were three different titles that we played through this past weekend, in addition to the monthly challenge that's been out there. So not all that much movement from a leaderboard perspective. ISO remains at the top of the list. He has 214 points. He was able to add 20 points from the weekend challenge, as well as 20 points from the monthly challenge to his overall total. I actually moved into second place because I tackled a couple of the monthly challenges. I added 20 points to my total. That brings me up to 99 points. Bookie Gnu is in third place with 90 points. Rich Senewald added six points this past weekend. He is currently in fourth with 56 points. I Am The Dizzle is in fifth with 24 points. And Left Handed Guitarist is in sixth with 15 points. If you want to get engaged with this challenge and you want to get on the leaderboard and potentially win some prizes... 
The only way to do that is out on Discord. I do heavily encourage you to join. It's a great time. I should also mention that we have a Patreon. That is patreon.com slash classic gaming today. We have a new bi-weekly Patreon exclusive episode that we release and a bunch of other cool things out on Patreon, as well as some exclusive Discord channels and roles. So if anybody would like even more classic gaming today goodness, patreon.com slash classic gaming today is where it's at. I do also want to give a shout out to our Pantheon patrons. They are ISO, Rich Setterwall, David Morton, and Sam Tordowski. Thank you guys for supporting the show, and thank you all for supporting the show. Whether you contribute monetarily or you simply listen on a regular basis, I truly do appreciate all of the support. With that out of the way, we're going to start talking about the topic of the day, and that is the sounds of the classics. And this is specific to Nintendo's 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. This is our first episode focused on classic video game soundtracks. So before we begin, before we get into the first track, I do just want to give a little bit of perspective as far as where these tracks came from or why I chose these specific tracks. When I was thinking about doing this episode of the podcast or these kinds of episodes, my first thought was, well, I could go out and I could just pick a bunch of songs that I like or a bunch of music that I like from various gaming systems or from various games and just play them and talk about why I like those tracks. And I will probably do episodes that are focused on exactly that kind of perspective. Today, though, I did something a little bit different. I wanted to pick tracks from games that for some reason I have some sort of emotional attachment to. These are games that, for whatever reason, in my childhood, I just have such fond memories about, or maybe they were because I played them with somebody who I really cared for or loved, or some form of emotional attachment. So I went through my memory banks and I picked out some songs and some games that I truly have fond memories about. And by the way, these are really good songs too, at least from my perspective. So a little bit of a dual purpose, a couple of ground rules up front. I limited myself to only pick games and music from games that we have not yet covered on the podcast, meaning none of the titles that we talk through today are any games that we've had dedicated episodes for. I might have mentioned those games in passing or as part of a different episode, but they would not have been part of a titled episode yet. I am sure many of these games will be part of future titled episodes. We just haven't touched upon them yet. So the way we're going to do this is I will play a song from a game. I'm not going to tell you exactly what game that is from at first, because I figure it might be a little bit of fun for you guys to guess or try to test your own musical trivia knowledge. So as I play the song, I will be quiet. And then you guys see if you can guess what it is when I come back on. I will tell you what the song is and what game it's from and, of course, why it means something to me. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to start with our very first song. Let's play that one. Thank you. 
That song is the password screen from Fax Anadu. So Fax Anadu is an interesting game. It's kind of like an action RPG-ish kind of thing. It's a side-scroller. It's almost a little bit like Legend of Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link. I really enjoy Fax Anadu. I have never actually beaten Fax Anadu, but my memory around the game is not so much me playing it, but it was actually one of the few games that my aunt, when I was younger, wanted to purchase and actually play herself. So just a little bit of backstory. When I was younger, I was pretty much very, very close with my aunt. She raised me. She did everything for me. And she also raised me from a very young age. She actually quit school at 19 to take care of me. And it was, we have just such a great relationship in general, but we would also play video games with each other. So she was still relatively young at at 19, at least when I was born. So by the time I was in video game age, she was in her early to mid twenties and it was just really fun playing these games with her. And I still remember there'd be times where, and I remember this vividly, we played Super Mario Brothers 2. We had just gotten it and I couldn't figure out how to beat Birdo. Because I was young, I didn't know what the heck to do. She actually stayed up that night. She figured out how to beat Birdo, and she left me a note that said, hey, you got to jump on the egg and pick it up and then throw it at his head. So we just had a great time, and we have a really good relationship. Faxana do. So we would always play these games, and most of the time the games were games that I would get, and then I would play, and maybe she would play a little bit with me, but I was really the primary gamer. The games were for me, ostensibly, and my brother. But Faxanadu was the one game that she looked at, she saw, and she said, you know what, this game I actually want to play. I don't know exactly what it was that was so appealing that she really wanted to try this out for herself, but she affirmatively wanted to play the game. So most of the time with Faxanadu was actually not me playing the game, it was her playing the game, which from my perspective at the time, was really, really cool. Because back then, adults, so to speak, adults, didn't play video games. This was not a thing. Video games were child's entertainment. That was why I was playing that when I was six, seven, eight years old. But no, she wanted to play this game, and I thought it was just absolutely awesome that somebody who was older would actually want to sit down and play a game themselves directly as opposed to as opposed to just a kid playing it. It just left an indelible impression on me. And that's that's why Faxanadu will always have a special place in my heart. That being said, the music is actually really good in Faxanadu. And the more I listen to the soundtrack, the more I realize that I have intense memories of a lot of this game. And I didn't even realize I had so many memories of this game. We must have played it a lot more than what I remembered. I certainly remembered the game because of the story I just relayed. But the music brought back significant number of memories just from watching and experiencing the game. Like I said, I haven't actually played it too much in earnest. I played it back when I was younger. I never beat it. I have not gone back to play it yet. But this is definitely one of those ones that are on my list to go back to and absolutely re-experience because I just think it, it looks amazing. It brings back such fond memories. And the song I chose 
is actually just a really good song. It's kind of melancholy. It has some really great harmony and melody that goes together. I just think they did an amazing job composing this particular song. And like I said, I have very fond memories of this game in particular, as well as the song that accompanied the track that we just played. Moving on to our next song, I'll cue up some music and then we'll see if you can guess what this one's from. was the town theme from Dragon Quest, the very first Dragon Quest. Although in America, it was not known as Dragon Quest, it was known as Dragon Warrior. And I have such vivid memories of this game because Dragon Warrior, and I will use the term Dragon Warrior because that was the version of the game I played when I was younger. That was my very first role-playing game, number one. And number two... I remember the circumstances around when I got the game so clearly. So for anybody who may not be aware, back in the 80s into the 90s, there was this magazine called Nintendo Power, which was effectively a Nintendo marketing kind of ploy. It was a magazine developed and published by Nintendo. It had all sorts of cool articles, tips and tricks. They had reader uh, write-in kind of sections where people would write in and they would get responses from Nintendo Power editors and all that kind of stuff. And they would also have some really cool kinds of contests and little perks for when you would subscribe to the magazine. One of the perks, and this is not necessarily related to Dragon Warrior, but one of the perks was you got this really cool pin. It was this small miniature pin that was a Nintendo Power logo and it was gold and it was awesome. I loved it. I I know sometimes kids like weird things for whatever reason. And back then I wasn't much of what I would call a collector. I'm much more of a collector now than what I was back then. But even back then I saw this pin and I thought, oh my God, this is like the coolest thing in the world. So I had this pin and that was just one of several different perks you could get for subscribing to Nintendo Power. One year, and I can't recall exactly which year it was, there was a perk where if you subscribed to Nintendo Power, I believe for an annual subscription, you would actually get a free copy of Dragon Warrior, the game, sent right to you along with a Dragon Warrior strategy guide. Well, suffice it to say, I absolutely needed to do that because, hell, you're getting a free game. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it's technically not free. You're subscribing to the magazine. You're spending money. But in my childhood mind, it was free. So I convinced my parents and we got the game and I got the game and I sat down and I started to play Dragon Warrior. And it was unlike any game I had ever played before. Up to that point, I had primarily played traditional platforming kind of titles, some shooter kinds of titles, sports, racing kinds of things. I had never played an RPG, though. I had never played a role-playing game, so I didn't know what to expect. So that entire summer that year, I spent playing Dragon Warrior. That entire summer was effectively me going out in our pool, swimming for several hours in the afternoon, 
coming back in and playing Dragon Warrior into the evening. And I would have my trusty strategy guide by my side, and I would try to get every single ounce of gameplay out of that game. And I just remember being so enthralled with the story and the gameplay and the secrets and trying to find all of the different hidden objects and figure out how to actually beat the game. And the strategy guide, it was like this little, I don't want to say pocket strategy guide because it wasn't truly a pocket strategy guide, but it was a smaller book. It wasn't like one of those big Prima guides that you might have gotten back in the 90s. This was a much smaller kind of thing, but it had all of the information you needed in order to be successful in Dragon Warrior and I devoured it. Strategy guides in general, I know we don't talk about strategy guides that much during the podcast. I think strategy guides are awesome. I actually have a relatively large collection of strategy guides today, and I don't really reference them all that much. I just like the fact that I have them, and I like the fact that they exist. And back when I used to play games when I was younger, I would get the strategy guides, and sometimes, even after I beat the game, I would just read the strategy guides because a lot of them had different lore tidbits. They had different tips and tricks or different areas and secrets that you might have missed the first time. And even beyond strategy guides, just the manuals. I used to love reading the manuals before I would play the game, not just because you needed to in order to understand how to play the game, but it just got me in the mood to play. So Dragon Warrior Having that strategy guide and being able to read the strategy guide alongside playing the game, it made for one of the most memorable summers of my young life. It was just so fun, so enthralling just to play that game and to experience an RPG for the first time. And luckily, it was a pretty darn good RPG. I'm glad that that was one of my first. I'm glad that was my first RPG because you can't really ask for a much better introduction than Dragon Warrior. And I know I've been using Dragon Warrior because that is the North American name. For everybody else, it is Dragon Quest, the very first Dragon Quest game. We're going to move on to our third entry, so get ready to guess. The next song is... Joe's Bar from the point-and-click NES adventure Deja Vu. Now, I say NES adventure, but in reality, Deja Vu, the game, actually originated on the computer. It was one of the Mac Venture series of adventure games, alongside Deja Vu 2, Shadowgate, and The Uninvited. So those four games all followed a very similar structure, a very similar style from a point-and-click gameplay perspective. Now, when I played Deja Vu for the first time, What I didn't realize about the game was that it was actually a point-and-click adventure game. I've relayed this story to a couple of different people or in a couple of different venues, and I can't recall if I've gone over it in the main podcast yet. But for me, 
Deja Vu was my very first point-and-click adventure game, and I didn't even realize it was a point-and-click adventure game at the time. I didn't even know what the heck that genre was. I just knew that I really enjoyed playing it. But a little bit before I got Deja Vu, I had gotten my issue of Nintendo Power. Like I was talking about, I loved Nintendo Power. And I would read that magazine every single month. And one month, they had this article on Deja Vu. And it's about this, you play this private detective and you have amnesia and you've got to try to figure out what happened to you and uncover these mysteries and solve a murder and all this kind of stuff. And when I read that, my immediate response was, oh, I need this game. There was something about it, something about the way it was described that just made me really want to play it. I always fancied myself a fairly intelligent kind of person, even as a kid. I thought, oh, you know what? I'm pretty good at solving puzzles. I'm pretty good at trying to figure out mysteries and take a bunch of clues and synthesize them together into some sort of answer or response. So when I heard about this game where your sole purpose was effectively putting together a mystery in order to solve it, I thought this is right up my alley. I have got to play this game. There was only one problem. Deja Vu had not come out yet. And I really wanted the game. So as a kid of the late 80s, early 90s, what is someone to do? Well, the place where I usually got my games was Toys R Us. Toys R Us was this massive toy store. I actually think there are some Toys R Us's that are coming back. Now the company had effectively gone out of business. They had closed all their retail stores. I believe they're coming back in some capacity, or at least I had heard within the last year or so, that they were coming back in some capacity. But in any event, Toys R Us was like a mecca for games and toys and everything else. Toys R Us was just so amazing as a kid to just walk down the aisles. And the way that they did video game distribution or sales was rather than have a bunch of boxes out on the shelf, you would walk up and down the aisles of Toys R Us and they would have these little flip panels, so to speak, where you could see the front of the game box. If you flipped it over, you would see the back of the game box. And then they had these hang tags out in front of it where you would just pick up one of the little pieces of paper that were in that compartment. You would bring that piece of paper up to the cash register. You would pay. Then you would bring that paper to the little back room area, and then they would go back into their factory and pick up the game and give you the actual game in the box. And you would go off at home and then you would go and play it. Well, Deja Vu, I really wanted because I thought this is going to be so fun and interesting to explore. So I literally called Toys R Us every single day for weeks asking them, hey, is Deja Vu in yet? Hey, is Deja Vu in yet? Hey, did you get Deja Vu in yet? I'm not even kidding you. I was really obnoxious as a kid, I guess, but I just really wanted the game. So I would call them constantly. And back then we didn't have the internet. It's not like I could go onto our website and say, Hey, what's the release date for deja vu? And they would tell me, Oh, the release date is whatever the date is. I didn't have that. We didn't have that back then. We had magazines and they, most of the time the magazines would say coming third quarter, 1989 or something like that. And for me as a kid, it's like, well, third quarter, that's a really long time. That's like three months. How, how can I, how can I pinpoint when it's available? So I didn't know when it would become available. So I would keep calling Toys R Us, keep calling them, keep calling them. And then finally one day I got through and I said, Hey, have you gotten deja vu in yet? And they said, yep, we got it in earlier today. Well, let me tell you what I did. 
I went to my father and I said, dad, we've got to go to Toys R Us right now. And now my dad played a few games. Mostly he would play games like Tetris back then. And he would actually play with my aunt, uh, Dr. Mario. They would play together. And even my mom would play Tetris. So they were more on the puzzle side. My aunt was much more uh, diverse as far as the kinds of games she would play. But my father was really only into some of those higher level puzzle kind of games, things that didn't require quite as much manual dexterity. So he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean we got to go to Tours R Us right now? And I said, well, listen, Deja Vu just came out. It's this really cool detective game. It lets you solve all these clues and puzzles and you get to be this amnesiac and then you get to try to figure out and get all your memories back and blah, blah. And I just went on and on and on. And he finally said to me, Tony, fine, let's just get in the car. We'll go get Deja Vu. <laughs> so I guess I wore him down pretty quickly. We went out there. We went to Tours R Us. We picked up Deja Vu. I brought it home. I fired it up. And it was love at first sight. I loved Deja Vu. I still love Deja Vu. The NES version is actually, from my perspective, probably the best version of the game. If anybody's ever gone and played the Mac Venture version, it is actually a much simpler kind of experience in that I don't believe there's any sound. The graphics are really not all that colorful. I think that might even be black and white, if I'm not mistaken. I might be misremembering that, that piece of it. But Mac Venture games, as the name would imply, were created for the Apple Macintosh. That was pretty much the multimedia machine of the time. But when it was ported over to the NES, they, they took the opportunity to add additional graphics, to add additional sound and music and things like that. And the music that's in Deja Vu is very evocative of the type of game it is. It's evocative of that kind of noir detective kind of style. And Joe's Bar, the theme that I just played is, from my perspective, probably the most noir, detective-sounding kind of song from that game. I really enjoy that song. It immediately gets me in a detective kind of mood. And if I ever want to revisit my youth, Deja Vu is the game that I fire up because I have such incredible memories of both getting the game and then finally playing the game. We're going to move on to our fourth song of the day. Get ready to guess this one. When most people think of the original Super Mario Brothers from a musical perspective, I can almost guarantee many people are immediately going to think of the main theme. Because that theme that Koji Kondo had created is pretty much one of the most iconic video game themes ever made. When I think about Super Mario Bros, yes, I absolutely think of that main theme. But from my standpoint, the song that is more evocative to me of actually playing the game is not necessarily the main theme, which obviously is iconic and awesome. But I really think about the underwater theme. For whatever reason, that song, that melody is the song that for me is just the most or one of the most memorable songs of my youth. So let me talk to you a little bit about me getting Super Mario Bros. back when I was younger. 
I had never had a home video game console until I got my Nintendo Entertainment System. Before the NES, I would always play games in arcades, and I loved going to arcades. I loved playing all sorts of different games on the big cabinets, and I was relatively young at the time, so I used to have to get a step stool just to walk up to the arcade and stand there and be able to actually use the joysticks and the buttons and look at the screen. I found going to the arcade such a fun experience. It's one of those things that you cannot recapture today because even though there are arcades available, there's retro arcades and there are also modern arcades, there was something about the social environment that accompanied arcades back in the 80s and even into the early 90s. So I would go to arcades all the time, probably at least once a week or so. I would usually go with my aunt and my grandfather. We would go to the arcades and It was so much fun. I had a blast, but I never had a home console to play games outside of the arcade. At the time, there were a couple of Atari systems out. There was the Atari 2600. I believe the Atari 5200 was out as well. I'm not sure about the 7800 or not, but I never had a home console system. We talked about it. We talked about potentially getting an Atari, but when we looked at it, the Atari games and the graphics just didn't really compare to what was out in the arcades. So when we would look at the system and we'd start considering, well, maybe we should get an Atari for for actually being able to play games at home. The thing was, it just felt like it wouldn't be as fulfilling of an experience because the arcades had such full-featured graphics and sound and everything. And the Atari, now don't get me wrong, I think they did a really nice job and a lot of good things with the Atari, especially considering how old the system is and how new the technology was when they were working from a home console perspective. I think they did a phenomenal job with the console. But if I take a step back and I compare the Atari to the arcades of the time, there was a pretty big gap. So I never got an Atari. We never had one. When the NES came out, when that finally came out in North America, That was the one that made us turn our heads and say, oh, wait a second. This is kind of like playing arcade games at home. Now, granted, arcades were still way more advanced than what you would get on the NES. But the NES itself was much more advanced than what you would get on the Atari. And it really was the system that, at least for me, was bridging the gap between the arcade-like experience and the at-home video game experience. So we got our NES. And I opened up the NES for the first time and we got the the power mat bundle system. So it came with the power mat, it came with the zapper, and it came with a three-in-one game. It came with Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and Track Meet, I believe was the title of the game that you would use the power mat with. So we got that, I put the console in the system, we hooked it up to our TV via the RF antenna or the coax cable kind of thing. We hooked it all up. We, I think we spliced it into our VCR or something, if I'm remembering the technology of the time correctly, but it certainly wasn't any sort of uh, RCA jacks or anything like that. It was truly on the RF switch, I believe. So we hooked it up. I fired up Mario. And from that moment on, I just wanted to play games the rest of my life. This was the game. Super Mario Bros. was the game that made me want to play games forever. I, like I said, I had loved arcades and I always enjoyed video games, but because arcades 
were kind of an event. Going to an arcade was more of an event. You had to plan for it. You had to get dressed. You had to get ready. You had to get in the car. You got to drive somewhere. You got to get quarters. You got to go to the machine. You got to make sure that you put the quarters in the machine and play, and maybe you need more change. So you take your dollars up to the little dispenser, or you talk to somebody who's walking around with one of those coin uh, dispensers on their belts, and you'd get additional coins. You'd go out and you play more in the arcade. It was a whole thing. And while it was awesome, it was not necessarily the most convenient way to play a game. It's certainly not as convenient as playing a game at home. When I realized that I could get an arcade-like experience at home playing these games, I just thought to myself, oh, well, now I know what I'm going to be doing for the next however many years. And it turns out that that was actually a very prophetic kind of concept or comment because ever since then, I have never not played games. It has been a part of my life ever since that moment. Super Mario Bros., the original, was the game that really acted as that gateway into home video gaming. And then I'd eventually expand into computer games and basically all sorts of electronic entertainment. But Super Mario Bros. was the game that really got me into it. And when I was playing the game, I remember when I first got to the underwater level. And up to that point, I had heard the very traditional Super Mario Bros. theme. I heard the underground theme and the castle theme but then out of nowhere you go to this underwater level which is different than any level you've encountered before and the music kicks in and i just remember thinking oh oh that is a really cool tune i really enjoy that and it's just a testament to koji kondo's overall expertise and musical ability that he was able to craft such amazingly memorable themes despite the limitations of the NES hardware and the sound hardware within the NES. And of course, there were a lot of other themes that he worked on and different games he worked on, most prominently the Legend of Zelda series, which of course has its own iconic music associated with it. But for me, from a Super Mario Bros. perspective, the song that really hit home for me in that very first game was the underwater theme. We're going to go on to the next song, so let's cue up the music. Let's see if you can guess this one. of The Legend of Zelda, this song is from Legend of Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and it plays during the title screen. So Zelda 2, for me, was just such a 
fun and memorable experience. So just to give a little bit of perspective, by the time Zelda 2 came out, I had already played and beaten The Legend of Zelda 1. And I may have relayed this story before when we were talking about our Legend of Zelda episode, I don't recall. But when I played the original Legend of Zelda, I devoured that game and I wanted to understand and learn every single secret that was included in the game. So much so that I would often call the Nintendo Game Counselor Hotline, which the number, and I remember this still today, was 1206-885-7529. It was a call to, I believe, Redmond, Washington. And yes, it was long distance. And yes, it did appear on our phone bill. But I would call the game counselors constantly to talk about games and to get tips and tricks. A lot of times, I would just call them and kind of tell them tips and tricks that I had found. Once again, I was kind of an obnoxious kid, but I thought I was so cool finding out all these secrets and things. And I remember being in the one dungeon in the legend of Zelda. And when I looked at the map, I saw that it was kind of like the, the picture of a skull. It looked like a skull on the screen. And I thought, Oh my God, nobody I'm, I am sure nobody has noticed this before. So I literally walked over to the phone. I picked it up. I called the game counselor and I said, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but there is a map in the legend of Zelda that looks just like a skull. You feel free to, to give this tip out to other people, but it looks just like a skull. I think there's probably secrets behind certain areas like the nose and the eyes and things like that. And the game counselor must have chuckled to himself. And he was he was very professional about it. He was like, oh, thanks. That's, that's great. That's, that's great information to have. We'll definitely put it down in our notebook. Now, of course, they have these gigantic binders full of anything you would ever want to know about any of these games that were released on the NES or any of the other Nintendo systems. But I thought it was just so cool that I had noticed that. So Legend of Zelda 1, I played, I devoured, I loved. When I got The Legend of Zelda 2, I was ready for more of the same. And I didn't get that. Legend of Zelda 2 was an entirely different game. Instead of a more tops-down kind of view, you now had a side-scrolling action-adventure game. It was a very different kind of experience. And it, I just remember thinking, wait a second, this doesn't look like The Legend of Zelda. But I would still play it anyway. And over time, I became really enamored with Legend of Zelda 2. I thought it was really cool how you could get upgrades, how you could get better health, how you could just navigate the different scenes. The fact that you actually had towns that you could walk around and talk to people in the towns and get different information. And then you would navigate this overworld and there'd be these random battles that would pop up and you go into caves and castles and everything else. I just thought to myself, wow, this is an expansive adventure. And I know that in the grand scheme of things, typically... The Legend of Zelda 2 is not looked upon as fondly as the original Legend of Zelda. I think because it tried something very different. It changed the whole gameplay formula up a bit beyond what the original Legend of Zelda was. But from my perspective, and I am going purely off of nostalgia and memory here, by the way, I have not played Zelda 2 in a really long time. Probably close to... Oh... I would say probably 30 plus years now at this point it was the last time I actually played The Legend of Zelda 2. So this is purely memory speaking. But I remember thinking 
that this is a really large world with a lot of hidden secrets and a lot of different mysteries to uncover. And I really loved it. I loved playing that game. I loved jumping up and thrusting down with my sword. I loved trying to figure out how to beat all of the different enemies. I even loved the Dark Link fight at the end, which was really challenging, but I did eventually get past it. Now, the interesting thing here, and and I'll make some general comments about difficult games, because what I've learned over the years is that The Legend of Zelda 2 is widely considered to be an incredibly challenging game. One of those games that, that people actually dread going back to sometimes because it is just so darn difficult. And I've got to say, I do not remember having that complaint when I was a kid. Now, I don't know if as a kid, just because you're playing these games constantly, if you just if you just get really good at them and then you don't worry about it because you have all these hours to burn, you just keep playing the same game over and over and over again and you get really proficient at it. Or maybe I just had a different threshold for difficulty because back then we didn't have nearly as many games. So if you were going to play a game, you better like it or else you're not going to be able to play games because we didn't have hundreds of games at our disposal. We had a very limited subset of games. I don't know what the case was, but I never remember thinking back then, other than the Dark Link fight, which I do remember thinking, oh, that is a really hard fight. Other than that one, though, I don't remember having insane difficulty with the game. Now, like I said, this is a 30 plus year old memory, so I may be a little bit off, but I just don't recall thinking, oh, that's a really challenging too difficult kind of game. Whereas if you look at any YouTube videos today or you look at any commentaries today, a lot of times Zelda 2 is considered to be one of those more challenging experiences. I don't know what the reality is because I haven't revisited it yet. I will revisit it. But suffice it to say, when I played Zelda 2, yes, it was a very different experience than the original Legend of Zelda, but I appreciated it nonetheless. And I actually enjoyed my time with that game immensely. It was one of those games where while I was playing it, I just kept playing it. I kept trying to uncover everything I could and tried. I tried to figure it out for myself. Now, I did have some, I don't think it was a strategy guide, but I believe there were various write-ups in Nintendo Power that I would refer to to get some tips and tricks and figure out how to get past certain areas. But I just remember trying to tackle it as much as I could by myself, and I enjoyed it so much. The gold cartridge versions of both the original Legend of Zelda and Legend of Zelda 2 are some of my most prized possessions in my game collection because I just thought the concept of a gold cartridge was simply awesome. And I don't know what it was, but it was just unique. When you look at your NES collection, or when I look at my NES collection, the majority of the cartridges are those traditional gray cartridges with the label on top. I do have a couple of non-traditional cartridges. RBI Baseball is probably the one other than the Zelda games that is the most different because it came in that black cartridge with a different kind of shape. But other than that, The Legend of Zelda and The Legend of Zelda 2 were the two games that always stuck out on my shelf because they were that shiny, glossy gold. And say what you will about gold or whatever colors you prefer, It just looked classy. It made it look like a classic kind of almost royal kind of game. And immediately that just spoke to me. And I thought, wow, those are awesome. 
Moving on to our next song, we have... was the song Cabin Fever from Friday the 13th. Now, I know what many of you are going to say right now. Friday the 13th on the NES is widely considered to be one of the worst games of all time. How could you have a fond memory of that game? Well, I'm going to tell you because, like I said earlier, when we were kids and when we had these games, We didn't have a ton of different games to play. If we got a game, we were going to play it, whether it was quote-unquote good or not, because the alternative to that was not playing video games. And that really wasn't a great alternative, at least for me. So I was going to play any game that I got. And you know what? I was going to find the silver lining in any of those games. So I remember when I got Friday the 13th, and just a little bit of backstory here. Beyond video games, I always, even at a very young age, I enjoyed horror movies. I enjoyed movies like the slasher flicks like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, all those kind of movies. I also enjoyed a bunch of the 80s kind of B-movie kind of experiences like Chopping Mall, Girl School Screamers. Uh, What was the other one? Uh, Slumber Party Massacre. I loved those titles, and I know I was relatively young, but I think I turned out okay, regardless. Anyway, I just really enjoyed those games. I loved, or I loved those movies. I loved horror kinds of movies. So when Friday the 13th came out on the NES, I thought, well, of course we need to get this. I loved the movie, so I'm going to love the game. And we got the game, and I fired it up. And actually... This was actually a big deal, by the way. I don't know if this was like this for anybody else, but when I got Friday the 13th, I was one of the few kids in my neighborhood that actually had Friday the 13th. And I remember when I mentioned it to my next door neighbor, his name was Chris. And I said, hey, Chris, guess what game I got? And he said, well, what what game did you get? I said, Friday the 13th. He said, wait a second, you got Friday the 13th? said, yeah, you want to come over and play it? Of course I want to come over and play it. So he came over and we sat down and we just played the game. We didn't get very far, but we played the game and it was fun, even though it was really difficult. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. I knew I would be walking around the forest and then something would attack me or I'd be walking through a cabin and then Jason Voorhees would show up and try to kill me. But I still had fun with the game and I still have very fond memories of playing that game, even though retrospectively people have said, oh, it's not really that great. This is another one of those games that I have not revisited for myself. And I, generally speaking, while I respect others' opinions, I really need to experience something for myself in order to form an opinion on something. If somebody tells me that's one of the worst games ever, I respect the fact that they feel that way, 
but I also want to try it myself because I recognize that a lot of opinions today are driven by some very specific personalities and a lot of the influencer personalities that might say something might just be being parroted by other people rather than those people forming their own opinions. And I don't want to just accept something at face value. I want to be able to experience it, to be able to form my own thoughts on whether something is worthwhile or not. That's one of the reasons I do this podcast, is to be able to look at it, to be able to actually dissect each of the games, to be able to experience them myself, and to really determine whether there's goodness there or maybe not. Friday the 13th is one of those games I do want to go back and play because I did have fond memories playing it both with my next door neighbor as well as just solo as I would try to figure out how to get through the game. And as a kid, Friday the 13th was actually a little spooky because you never knew when Jason was going to show up. It was an entirely random thing. You could be walking around minding your own business and then suddenly Jason Voorhees shows up. It's like, ah, what happened? No, maybe not that bad, but you know what I'm talking about. It was just a random event. He would pop up and it was kind of a little bit of a jolt sometimes because sometimes you wouldn't expect him to show up. And I just remember thinking, oh, that's a really, that's just really fun. And that kind of mimicked the same kind of feeling that you would get by watching these horror movies because a lot of the horror movies would rely on the jump scare. They would have a relatively calm scene and then suddenly the the stinger music would hit and the bad guy would appear or something would happen and everybody would jump in the movie theater. Friday the 13th, the video game, gave that same kind of experience, albeit in 8-bit form, and I really enjoyed playing it. If not for the gameplay mechanics just for the feeling of playing a horror experience on my NES and actually controlling the action myself. Our next song is from a fairly popular arcade game that eventually came over to the NES. It is... say about Double Dragon. Probably the first beat-em-up, or maybe one of one of the first beat-em-up games that I had ever played in my life was Double Dragon. And I gotta say, that's a fairly harsh indoctrination into the genre, because Double Dragon was hard. It was really challenging, especially on the NES. It just was one of those very difficult games, but I just found myself coming back to it over and over and over again. Now, unlike some of the other games on this list, where I have a very specific personal memory associated with the game, Double Dragon, I have more memories around actually playing the game versus the personal experience of purchasing the game or acquiring the game in some way. Because with Double Dragon, I just remember having so much difficulty getting far in the game. I would get maybe a few levels in, two levels, maybe three levels, 
into the game before I would end up dying. And then I'd turn the game off and then I'd come back to it the next day, ready to go and keep trying to go. I have never beaten Double Dragon. I've also never revisited it since my youth, other than maybe putting it on one of my emulators every now and then just to play around. But that's even been years since I've touched Double Dragon at all. But the reason I chose Double Dragon's main theme as one of the songs for this podcast, there's a couple of reasons. One, the song is just awesome. I mean, if you don't get 80s action era feelings from that song, I don't know what to tell you. And plus, 80s action movies, I love 80s action movies. Of course I love 80s action movies. I love everything 80s. I'm a kid of the 80s. I just really enjoy all of that stuff. Double Dragon was the distillation of those 80s action films and the martial arts films into an actual playable format, and I thought it was just amazing. So for one reason is the music itself is just really good. The second reason is I have more memories of hearing that music than any other music in the game because I spent most of my time at the title screen since I would fail the game so often. I would play the game, I would lose, I'd pop back to the title screen. The title screen music was so good, and this I do remember. The title screen music was so good that as I would die and as I would restart the game, I would literally sit there and just listen to the music and think, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Such good music. What other kid just sits there and listens to the music in their video games and just kind of is like, yeah, this is the stuff. This is the stuff right here. That's what I was like as a kid, to put it into perspective. I wonder if any of you would have been friends with me back then. Maybe not. I don't know. But I just thought it was really cool. The music sounded amazing. It really evoked a, a very 80s action feeling and I just found it perfect for the game itself because that game, Double Dragon, really brought out those exact feelings as well. It was one of those situations where the music meshes perfectly with the concept behind the game to create something that is truly unique, and I loved it. We're going to go on to our next song now, so get ready to guess. The next song is... mentioned earlier that one of the few games my father would actually play is Dr. Mario. So of course we needed to have a song from Dr. Mario on this list and this is Fever from Dr. Mario on the NES. So for me, I always enjoyed 
the puzzle kinds of games that were fairly prevalent at the time. You had Tetris, which was obviously the big one. Then you had Dr. Mario, which was a little bit of a different take on a Tetris-like formula. Beyond Dr. Mario, you had games like Wordtris that came out later on the Super Nintendo, where rather than building blocks and trying to fill the screen with blocks, you would actually have to spell out words. I always enjoyed those kinds of puzzle experiences. So when Dr. Mario came out, First of all, it had Mario in it, which is awesome, so of course I had to have that. But secondly, it gave me that puzzle kind of experience. And like I mentioned earlier, I've always fancied myself a puzzle solver, so to speak. So I wanted to always test myself on these kinds of games. That, however, is not why I remember this one. I remember Dr. Mario because, like I said, this was one of those few games that almost every adult in my life wanted to play. And I have such amazing memories of when my father would get home from work. So my father's a lawyer and he would get home from work oftentimes pretty darn late. And I'm talking like 10, 11 o'clock at night because he was working on a case or something like that. He would get home and he would turn to my aunt and he'd say, hey, you want to play some Dr. Mario? And she'd say, yeah, of course. So they would sit down and they would play Dr. Mario together and they would compete against each other. And I just remember same kind of thing as I talked about before, just thinking, wait a second, adults actually play video games. They can actually play video games and have fun. How cool is that? Maybe when I'm an adult, I could do the same thing. And of course I did do the same thing and the video game industry itself expanded so that now it's not just a kid's thing, but it really is for all ages. But back then it wasn't really focused like that. So I just recall actually laying, I would, I would lay on the sofa in the family room because back then, I mean, that was kind of past my quote unquote bedtime. I never really had a bedtime per se, but I would just kind of hang around and stay up till whenever, as long as it was reasonable. So I remember laying on the sofa and kind of being in this dreamlike state and just watching the two of them play Dr. Mario on our television screen. I'd kind of doze off and on and things like that. But what I always remembered was the music associated with that and fever for whatever reason was it felt like that was one of the few songs that played or maybe that was just a song that always played while I was cognizant of what was going on around me but it was just it was just really cool I enjoyed that song and that song has always stuck with me beyond Dr. Mario itself always sticking with me because of that memory the song fever within Dr. Mario to me is kind of the quintessential Dr. Mario song it just represents everything about that game that you want. It's kind of a little whimsical. It's got a little bit of almost scientific sounding. I don't know if that's really a thing, but it kind of feels a little sciencey, which goes along with the whole Dr. Mario concept. I don't know. I'm probably just making stuff up at this point, but I really enjoyed the song. I enjoy the memories associated with the game and the song. For me, Dr. Mario will always have a special place in my memories. We're going to move on to our final song of the day. So get ready to guess on this one. The song is...
I'm going to venture a guess and say that this song is probably one of the lesser known songs from this list. It comes from a game called Vegas Dream, which was effectively a casino gambling simulator that, for whatever reason, first of all, I really enjoyed. But second of all, the memory associated with this one is very, very specific and personal. So I've been mentioning several times that when I was a kid, adults just didn't really play video games. At least adults in my life didn't really play video games other than certain occasions. Well, beyond adults not playing video games, grandparents really never played video games. I would never have expected my grandmother or grandfather to be sitting down and playing a video game. It just wasn't something that was part of their generation. And I know I'm overgeneralizing. I'm sure there were plenty of grandparents back then that did, in fact, play video games. But mine did not. Mine loved to get the paper every day and sit down and have a cup of coffee at the kitchen table and read the paper and read books and watch Jeopardy. Like that was what they liked to do, but they also liked to go to the casino. And when Vegas dream came out, which brought that casino experience to a degree in the home, it was something that my grandmother in particular looked at and thought, Oh, wait a second. I'm actually kind of interested in this. Unfortunately, my grandmother had gotten sick and she wasn't able to go out nearly as much as what she used to when she was a bit younger. So she was kind of homebound at the time. Vegas Dream gave her an opportunity to experience something that she had enjoyed doing, albeit from the comfort of her home. And that was something that I just found absolutely amazing. I also found it amazing that sometimes I would wake up in the morning And she'd be sitting there playing Vegas Dream on the NES and just having a blast, whether it was playing blackjack or the slots or roulette. She would just really enjoy it. Or Kino. Kino was the other one that was really fun in that game. It was just something where it was so unusual to me to see my grandmother sitting there playing a video game. But at the same time, I thought it was really cool because it was something that she enjoyed. It was something that she loved To do and to see her get that enjoyment out of a video game, for whatever reason, just really touched me and really made me feel warm and just love inside. I know it may sound weird, but this was just the feeling that I got with that game. And she loved it so much. She actually became the first person in our house to beat the game. If I remember correctly, you have to get I think you have to get a million dollars or something like that to beat the game. And if you beat the game, a limo comes up and they drive you away and you kind of get this congratulatory screen. She was so excited when she beat the game that she actually called my aunt up and said, listen, I just beat Vegas Dream. I beat it. I got the million dollars. I won. I won the game. It was just so cool to see because she was so excited about this experience and about actually beating the game that it just left a permanent memory in my brain. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is what video games is all about. It's not about just action or gore or anything like that. It's about bringing people together. It's about bringing people all sorts of varied experiences and giving them the experiences that they can enjoy and lose themselves in. No matter what else is happening in the real world, 
You can sit down, you can play a video game, you can escape a little bit from whatever is bothering you out there. You can have some fun within the confines of the video games. And for me, music is an essential part of that video game experience. It forms one of those connections that occurs where not just the visual, not just the act of playing, but the act of hearing the music and how it meshes with everything going on on the screen. It just creates this connected, integrated image in my head that has created memories that for me will absolutely last a lifetime. was our episode focused on sounds of the classics nes volume one i hope you all enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed creating it if you'd like to reach out let me know how i'm doing provide feedback comments suggestions or just talk about classic games and technology in general i would love to hear from you and there are a few ways you can reach out i have a twitter account with the handle at classic gaming t i have an email address which is classic gaming today at gmail.com And I have a Discord server. The link is in the show notes. Discord is the best way to get in touch with me and the rest of the community around this podcast. We do a ton of cool stuff out there, a lot of fun, a lot of great discussions. I do highly encourage everybody to check that out. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash classic gaming today. So if you want even more classic gaming today goodness, patreon.com slash classic gaming today is where it's at. Before we sign off for the week, I do want to mention that our next episode is going to be focused on Doom 64. So feel free to write in if you have any particularly fond or not so fond memories of that experience. At the same time, I recognize you're likely listening to this podcast on any number of podcast engines. If you would feel so inclined, it would be great if you could leave a review. This is not about bolstering star counts. It's not about trying to harvest a bunch of five-star ratings, though if that happens, awesome, it means we're doing something right. No, what this is really all about is trying to get the feedback necessary to create the best possible podcast I can. The only way to do that is to get feedback from all of you to make sure that I'm hitting the mark and delivering the content that you all want to listen to. We get new listeners literally every single day, which is awesome. I want to make sure we can continue to grow this podcast into something to be proud of. And to do that, I just need a little bit of time from all of you to let me know that we're doing the right stuff. We'll be back in around a week with our next episode. Until then, remember, sometimes the games of the past are just as good, if not better, than the games of today. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>